It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome into another week of the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. A beautiful, sunny Monday to get us started this week. Coming up on the show today, we'll have uh, Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. He joins us on Mondays, and uh, he's had a couple more outstanding stories in the past week that we'll uh, discuss about Jacob Toppin and... uh, Q&A he did with uh, one of our frequent guests, Brett Dawson, about uh, the G League and how that could impact college basketball. So we'll get into uh, those topics with Kyle. David Sisk from Cats Illustrated has done some work on the Matt Harms story, and we'll get his update there. And Paul Karam, who is a former Kentucky football player who has uh, led the charge to get the recognition that was long overdue for the players, the Kentucky football players, who broke the color barrier in the Southeastern Conference in the 60s. Nate Northington, Greg Page, Houston Hogg, and Wilbur Hackett. And um, the uh, documentary about them is debuting tonight on KET. And that'll be our start for the Wildcat News of the Day, a service of Cardinal Point Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. Black in Blue is the title of the documentary, and it premieres on KET at 9 Eastern Time tonight. And uh, Paul Karam is going to join us to talk about his teammates. I believe he's an executive producer, co-executive producer on this project. Um, It uh, was shown at the the, uh, Student Center at UK a couple of months ago, but this is going to be the uh, more widespread premiere. Looking forward to uh, watching that tonight. Last night, of course, uh, it seems like everybody in the world was tuned in to Last Dance, if you're uh, Following on on Twitter, it's uh, all anybody was was talking about in the sports world. Uh, very well done, first uh, couple of segments. So these will be continuing on on Sundays uh, to this next Sunday, and then it goes to one hour per Sunday after that. Uh, Matt Harms has not made his decision on where he's going to play college basketball next season. He is a grad transfer and. He, uh, there was some thought that he might announce over the weekend, and um, David Sisk, who's been covering this for Cats Illustrated, uh, said some schools have told him that they think it could take uh, another week. So we'll talk with David about that when he joins us here in just a bit. Jacob Toppin, uh, of course, has committed to Kentucky. Uh, the official release on that will probably come out uh, in a few um few days, I would imagine, sometime this week. Uh, UK, I saw, released a video. I, I missed this initially, but right after Jacob committed, UK released a video. Somebody uh, put this out, and the video featured uh, Kevin Knox highlights. So maybe they see Toppin as a Kevin Knox type of player. And uh, you look at Toppin's build, what we were told uh, by Chris DeSano on uh, Friday, who has covered him in the Atlantic 10, that he is uh, more of a perimeter guy, more of an outside-in guy, which is what uh, Kevin was, not a, a back-to-the-basket guy primarily. So um, interesting. To, we'll see how that plays out for Jacob Toppin. 
One and done may not end as soon as we thought. Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN on a podcast said that the league and the Players Association are having trouble agreeing on getting this done, and so it may get pushed back to like 2025 before they get into it deeply again. So uh, everybody thought one and done was about to end, but maybe not. And Boyle County defensive end Tommy Zeismer has reportedly picked up a scholarship offer from UK. He's in the class of 2023-62220. Links to the stories that we talk about, you can find them on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. When we come back, we're going to chat with Paul Karam about the documentary tonight, Black in Blue, from the Kentucky football of the late 60s. We'll get into that with Paul when we come right back. It's the Leach Report Radio Network, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the Cats. Joining us now on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline is Paul Karam, former Kentucky football player and also executive co-executive producer of the Black and Blue documentary that's going to premiere tonight at 9 Eastern time on KET. Paul, this is something you've worked on for a long, long time, along with the the uh, the statue of the Trailblazers that's out in front of the Craft uh, football facility that brought recognition to four of your teammates who uh, were truly Trailblazers. They sure were, uh, Tom. In any way you cut it, um, what these get, what these men did has had as much to do with integration in the South as politicians, social engineering, teachers, or buses, as far as I'm concerned. Because you know, football is the heartbeat of the South, and um, you know, we did it, and we did it with the. Um, the force of will of the governor, the um, the president of the university, the the our coach Charlie Bradshaw, and um, a, a side note to all this: the historical, you know, enormity of the Kentucky uh, Texas Western basketball game. It's interesting to note that Greg Page and Nate Northington signed their letters of intent before that game was even played. So. I'm not sure we've been treated correctly in history, but maybe this will help to straighten things out a little. For when folks tune in to see it tonight, um, any give me one or two nuggets that might come to your mind that you think will people will say, "Oh, I had heard that before," or that I didn't didn't know that. Well, um, I think number one, the music by Lincoln Bridge. You know. If you watch a movie, any any movie, Gone with the Wind or The Godfather or whatever, and it hadn't got any music in it, it just sort of sits there. Yeah. And when we first got the movie completed prior to getting the, the music in it by Lincoln Bridge, we're thinking, what do we have to do? Does this need more salt? Does it need more sugar? And then, <laughs> and then Lincoln Bridge finished the, the music, which was piecemealed by Paul Wagner, really impressive to watch, and it brought the whole thing to life. So I think the music of Lincoln Bridge is going to make people... Um, it brings out a lot of emotion. I'll say that. Number two, Tom, is the game at Ole Miss when Wilbur Hackett was the defensive captain and we're playing Ole Miss in 1968, 60, 50 or 60,000 people in Jackson, Mississippi. And Wilbur and Houston 
and Wilbur's father and Wilbur's father's buddy are the only four African Americans in the stadium. Wow. In 1968, Mississippi. And, you know, uh, you're younger than me, but you know what was going on there in those days. Mm-hmm. And um, just a remarkable accomplishment. And by the way, and you'll see this in the movie, in the third quarter, <laughs> Wilbur knocks Archie Manning out of the game for a couple plays. So that there was a little hey, there was a little um, hesitancy about what was going to happen next. Then yeah, that made him and, real uh, popular, uh, no matter what color he was. <laughs> <laughs> well, Archie got up and shook Wilbur's hand, which was remarkable. It just tells you something about that man and yeah. his family. Yeah, I mean, we you know use words like you know, courage a lot in sports, uh, and um, this was you know what these guys faced. There was some true courage displayed. Absolutely. Uh, this airs uh, tonight at nine Eastern. Uh, they're going to be on KET. Uh, they're going to be uh, is other. Is going to be other distribution of it or other platforms that might show up on. Well, as I understand it, Tom, it's going to be on KET six or seven times. Uh, I, I don't know how to, you know, direct people of how to find probably out. Probably exactly on the KET website, I'm guessing. They'll, they'll probably have that I'm, list. I'm sure. And then other, we're told that other broadcasting, public service broad, PBS channels, for lack of a better term, throughout the country are going to show it. So it's going to be seen throughout the United States over the next month. As so I said, finally, you you were a champion of this cause to bring recognition to this story. Why was it so important to you? Well, here's kind of what happened. We, um, you know, we signed a petition, the Bradshaw's boys, to get the statues built. And their story of that is in the film tonight and actually has a side of the petition. And then one night I'm watching ESPN Interestingly enough, who will not show the film because they say they only show what they produce. But anyway, um, I'm watching ESPN or one of these sports shows, and this movie comes on titled The Color Orange, and it's a takeoff on the color purple, and it's about the University of Tennessee having the first African-American quarterback, Conrad Holloway, in the SEC. And let me preface by saying Conrad Holloway deserves all the credit in the world. But as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, this is great because somewhere in this production, they've got to say Kentucky or Nate Northington or Greg Page. And the whole movie goes on and completes, and there's no mention of our accomplishment, which was four or five years before Conridge and the 60s, the middle to late 60s, socially were a different time than the early 70s, especially as it deals with segregation and racism. So after that um, oversight, and you know, Tennessee's had their way with us on the football field, but there's no way they're going to beat us in this, in this debate. So after that, by I guess Divine Providence, um, I was introduced by Ed Mayer, who I went to, to, um, who went to UK at the same time that I did. And he introduced me, he got me introduced over the phone to Paul Wagner, 
an Academy Award winning filmmaker, and we started talking about making this movie as, at the time, Tom, a rebuttal to The Color Orange. Well, it's so going to be the whole thing started. Going to be tonight at nine Eastern time on KET, and as Paul said, it'll be uh, re-aired several times as well. So if you you don't get it, don't record it tonight. You'll have other opportunities. Looking forward to seeing it, Paul. Thanks for uh, helping get it done. Thank you, sir. Paul Karam on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We'll take a break. David Sisk going to join us when we come back on the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com online. We bring on David Sisk from CatsIllustrated.com. And David's been following the uh, the Matt Harms story. There was some thought that he was going to make his commitment over the weekend. Didn't happen. So what are you hearing now, David? This thing could go on another week or so. Um, I have spoken with a source close to another program that's heavily involved, and, and they've thought that all along. And, and we've also heard uh, uh, from an individual around the Kentucky program that it could go, uh, um, he thinks, maybe through the middle of the week. So, I, you know, this thing, like we said, could go on another three to seven days. Who knows? Maybe longer than that. It, it may be over to, in an hour. But, you know, that, that's, the, that's the general thought. The, the window there is probably about three to seven days. What uh, are you hearing as far as what uh, Matt is looking for in a new college basketball home? It's kind of all over the place. Um, you know, I've, I've heard things like, for example, that uh, he might even be looking to to be going to Spain uh, and playing. Uh, um, but uh, Corey Evans uh, says that really kind of flies in the face of everything that Matt told him that he was looking to do about getting to the next level. But, you know, I, I've heard that he is interested in going to the NBA. He's more interested in going to Europe. So it kind of depends who you talk to. He's he's a very private, he's a quiet individual. He's not a limelight kind of guy. So um, I think depending who you talk to, um, you know, kind of gives you the, the look at, at what he wants to do. So it's, it's uh, like we said, it's all over the place, really. Uh, he, if he should choose Kentucky, how do you think he would fit? I, I like his fit as far as um, on the floor. It was what they've got next year because, you know, with Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston, uh, you know, they need driving lanes, and I think he's a guy that gives you that. You know, he can go out and set the ball screen. I think at seven three, he's good on the roll. The one thing that happened, like at Purdue, um, he didn't do much off the roll, especially when they had Carson Edwards, because he never thought he was going to get the ball. He just kind of ball <laughs> screened and stood. Uh, so you know, he he would have to get back acclimated to that. Uh, but he's not going to be, he's, he's thin. He's not going to be a, a, a back to the bucket kind of player, you know, kind of like John Calipari likes. So, you know, he may be more in the mold of a Willie Cauley Stein or a 
or a Nick Richards or, or somebody like that. But I really kind of think with the wings that they have next year, that that's kind of what they need uh, defensively. Uh, he's going to be able to block shots, protect the rim. They're going to be very athletic outside. So what happens is they can overplay guys and kind of funnel them uh, to the rim, and he can block shots. So I, I think uh, there is a fit for him there. Uh, off the floor, uh, like I said, he's a private type of guy, so that's going to be an adjustment. He doesn't like the limelight. Uh, very intelligent. Uh, we hear he wants to get a law degree. Uh, so, you know, playing at Kentucky in that kind of fishbowl off the floor would be an adjustment for him. Let's uh, talk about a guy that we know is, is going to be here, uh, Keon Brooks. Now that E.J. Montgomery is leaving, uh, Keon, uh, one would think, slides into those minutes and you look at what ej produced and it's it's not a a big jump to think keon could match those numbers but that was in part because of you know who was uh, around ej this year if kentucky needs those numbers to be better do you think he's able to answer that call i hope he can uh, you know and, and I, I look at the role that he had last year and the kind of role EJ had. And EJ was like in that dunker spot in the short corner and it came up. EJ really, his role was to get some of the garbage points, but that was because he was around Nick. Uh, you know, guards could penetrate and I think they're going to be able to do that next year and he could finish out of the short corner. And if Nick drew double teams, EJ could kind of clean up on offensive rebounds or cutting off the baseline and, and getting a catch and finishing at the rim. And I certainly think Keon can do that. Uh, now, Keon's uh, next step, and if they don't get a post who can, you know, put points up down there, can score. I think Nick, uh, you know, if, if you could score 10 or 12 points, if they don't get somebody like that, uh, he's going to have more pressure put on him to, to be able to create. Now, that's the question. Can he do that? But you also may be looking uh, uh, at wings who can really get to the rim. So, you know, we've seen teams in the past where the posts clean up because the guards can penetrate. So I think a lot of that, too, will go back to B.J. and uh, Terrence Clark to be able to set the table for him. David, thank you much uh, for updating us on uh, on Matt Harms, and uh, hopefully we'll have a resolution here before too much longer. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you, Tom. David Sisk from CatsIllustrated.com on the Leach Report Radio Network. We're heading to a break. Kyle Tucker joins us in the second half on the Leach Report. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Welcome back into the Leach Report for this Monday. We return to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to bring on Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com, continuing to churn out great content for you to check out when you're Stuck at home all the time now, and uh, Kyle, we'll uh, we'll start with Jacob Toppin, the uh, newest member of the Kentucky basketball family, and uh, you caught up to his godfather to uh, get some interesting quotes. I thought uh, out about uh, what how Jacob ended up getting here and and what he might 
potentially turn out to be, right? Yeah, and Jacob as well. Talked to both of them. Uh, it's interesting. It's hard to say. I mean, you certainly don't want to put on the kid like, uh, oh, he's Obi Toppin's brother. He's going to you know, blow up late like Obi Toppin did. But the, the interesting thing to kind of follow there and what I – Essentially, what I wrote is Kentucky's betting on genetics here, and it's not a not a crazy bet. Their dad was six eight, six nine. He was a playground legend, uh, known as Dunker's Delight uh, in New York City um, as a young man, and, and a few things kind of knocked him off course. But he he was you know JUCO All American. He was he was a, a, a really talented and super athletic um, basketball player. And then Obi uh, and Jacob are three years apart and have followed, you know, in their own, uh, on their own schedules, kind of at, along the same lines of development. Uh, they both were 6'2 as juniors in high school, 6'4 as seniors, 6'6 six, six after a prep year. They both did a prep year after high school uh, and both got to 6'8 as freshmen uh, in college. Uh, Obi Toppin grew another inch to 6'9 and put on 30 pounds during a redshirt year, 6'9, um, 220 coming out of his redshirt year at Dayton, was a really good player as a, as a redshirt freshman and then was the consensus national player of the year last year as a redshirt sophomore. Um, and so uh, that's all interesting because, you know, Jacob has, had to this point kind of followed along that track, and, and Jacob and his godfather both told me his growth plates are still open. He's 6'8 now. His growth plates are still open. His knees hurt all the time, and they say that's not an injury, that it's another growth spurt coming, uh, and that he could be 6'10", 6'11", 7 feet uh, easily. And so if he does sit out at Kentucky a year, Kentucky might have signed a 6'8 player and end up with a 7-footer by the time he plays for Kentucky. So it's uh, and, he, and, and everybody says he jumps higher than Obi Toppin, probably uh, approaching you know, 38, 39, 40 inches on the vertical uh, so that's obviously very intriguing as well. It's uh, an interest. It's a different move for for Cal, but uh, I think an, an interesting one, and, and makes a lot of sense in that he never uses all his scholarships anyway. And yep. uh, this is a guy who uh, figures to uh, be with you maybe a little longer than what you're used to. Yeah, I think this is this is a great move. You know, it's a low risk move. I mean, if it doesn't, right. if it doesn't turn out to be OB two point or even even something close to that. If, even if he do, if it doesn't pan it out at all, it doesn't necessarily hurt you, um, and it could only help you. And I think they should probably think about signing a, a sort of a, a developmental prospect like this, and sort of bet on athleticism. Take a guy that you know may be growing or maybe just you know really raw athlete, um, because those are the, that's the way. Uh, Cal wants to play. That to me is almost more intriguing than taking these um, uh, some of these grad transfer, especially big men, because we've we've seen like those guys are great uh, in a lot of ways for Kentucky, but they athletically, when you go up against somebody that's really really athletic, uh, it can be a challenge, and it, and it also doesn't necessarily allow Kentucky to play the way Cal wants to play with all the players they have he has around those guys who are great athletes. So maybe make some bets on some. A raw athletic guys and, and let them develop and, and get, get guys that know they have to develop. Um, you know, it's hard. It's honestly hard to find guys of any ranking. If they come to Kentucky who don't think they're still, they're going to be here a year or two, even not necessarily top tier guys. But if you take a developmental player, that's very clear on the front end, like you need 
work on X, Y, Z, uh, they may be here a while. Um, and in the new environment uh, where, you know, for one, Kentucky keeps losing guys that even aren't even going to get drafted, and that's got to be very frustrating. And then this new G League threat uh, of shaving another, you know, two, three, four, five of the top players in the country off the top before you ever get uh, get a chance to, to bring them to college, um, I think is going to necessitate that Calipari make a, a little bit of a tweak to his approach. It's um, a situation with Jacob where he could potentially be able to play on the upcoming team because the NCAA still hasn't made a, a decision on the transfer, and I think everybody thinks it's going to change, but when is it going to kick in to where you can transfer and be eligible automatically one time? So if if they approve that for the upcoming season, he could be eligible to play this coming year. But from reading your article, it sounds like for, for him and the people around him, they're in no hurry. They'd, they'd be fine with a redshirt year. Yeah, one of the things Jacob said was, you know, the redshirt season at, at Dayton was huge for Ovi because he could really focus on his body get stronger, um, add weight, um, you know, just work on his skills. You know, Jacob in particular is not necessarily, even though he's 6'8", he's not necessarily a post player, um, you know, traditional post player. He played that way at Rhode Island, but he's, he kind of has a skill set of a of a wing, you know, maybe develop some of those post moves. I and mean, the story I have a big profile I did on Kenny Payne and how he's developed some of those guys. You know, we know that's that's a staple. Like Anthony Davis, Carl Towns, those guys didn't. They wanted to hover on the perimeter. They had they had guard skills too, and and they basically hammered into them. You've got to learn how to play in the post. If you took a red shirt year with a guy like Toppin, and especially if he grows to six ten in the middle of it or, or taller, uh, you can work on some of those things. And Jacob basically said, like that was a huge piece of. Obi's development. That's a, a huge part of what he became, and I didn't get that redshirt year yet. Uh, and so he's he's not against it at all. And I and I don't think it's a shoe in at all uh, that this passes for this upcoming season, the the one time transfer thing. So um, I think it's very possible that he's you know sitting and and learning and growing, and and he'd still be valuable to Kentucky because they are going to need bodies just to have five on five practice. I mean. They had to go sign a baseball player last year to have five-on-five practices. Um, and so they need bodies for that alone. We're talking with Kyle Tucker on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We'll take a break and continue in just a moment. You can read the story we're talking about at TheAthletic.com. And uh, another one we'll get to when we come right back about the, the G League and what that could mean for college hoops. We'll talk about that when we return on the Leach Report. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. Talk with Kyle Tucker as we do on these Monday shows from theathletic.com. And one of the guys uh, we go to for NBA topics here on the show is uh, Brett Dawson, who covered the Cats for a long time and now does a great job covering his great passion, the NBA for the Athletic. And uh, you and he did a little back and forth on this uh, G League story. Anything that uh, you came out of that discussion uh, that changed any thinking you had going in? No, not a lot. I mean, I think Brett is a little more, 
you know, not pessim, not necessarily pessimistic, but I think just sort of uh, thinks that it will have some impact on Kentucky. I, I don't think there's really any arguing that it'll impact Kentucky, that it'll impact college basketball. Uh, anytime that you might get a handful of the top ten players in the country not coming um, into college basketball at all, that impacts the type of places that recruit them, uh, Duke and Kentucky and Kansas and, and others. Um you know, and that's coming anyway. I mean, that's the one thing about it is, I mean, at some point we'll see the end of one and done, although there's now buzz that that um, may not come as soon as we think. And, you know, my, one of my first thoughts about this G League move was actually that it might be the NBA trying to uh, basically run up a test balloon on, is this a way we can avoid having high school kids come directly into the NBA but still allow them to turn turn pro uh, and develop them in a pro environment, uh, get a better look at them, not make those mistakes. I mean, the reason we have one and done is because the NBA, there, there was there were years and years and years where you could go right from high school to the NBA. It just didn't happen much after Moses Malone because the next couple guys were, didn't really work out. Um, and then you had Kevin Garnett, and he blew up, and then Kobe Bryant, and he blew up, and then so on and so on, LeBron James. But by the end of that era in 2006, uh it was a disaster. All, all these high school kids were coming in, and they were bad. They were busts. I mean, Kwame Brown and, and many others, you don't even know their names. Um, and so they shut it down because they didn't want to make mistakes on these kids that they weren't really getting a good look at. And, and scouts, NBA scouts do not want to be in high school gyms. Um, and so my, one of my first thoughts when I saw that the G League was sort of led by Rod Strickland, by the way, former U.K. assistant, kind of making a run on top high school players, um, was that maybe this is maybe this really is the NBA saying this isn't this is a like in between measure, um, and so if that's what it is, if you don't get both, if at some point you're not getting both the G League and the NBA trying to take your top high school guys, it's still going to be just a handful of guys, and you know to quote Calipari, Kentucky is going to eat first. Kentucky, Duke, et cetera, those programs are still always going to get whatever is the best of the rest. So. In that thinking, you know, I, I still think Kentucky's going to get, they're going to have among the best players in the country every year. And if the byproduct is, in addition to that, it makes Calipari tweak just a little bit to say, I'm going to get, I'm going to also go get more developmental type guys that might stay here a while. And also, if the type of guys you're getting, the best of the rest are, are the kind of guys who need to be in school a little longer anyway. Um, you know, it could help in terms of stability. I don't think anything. I don't, I'm not one of the people that argues that. Like, I don't want to see Anthony Davis in college. That it doesn't hurt college basketball. That Zion Williamson didn't go to college. Uh, I don't agree with that. But if you're looking for stability, and will the best programs still be the best programs? Yes, the best programs were still the best programs during the period where guys could go straight from high school to the NBA. I want to jump over for a second to another story you did last week about. Uh, a what if uh, you said it was the the one you heard the in, in uh, kind of prepping this on on Twitter the one you heard the most about since you came into uh, this part of the country and covered covering the Kentucky program and it was uh, Sean Kemp and what what might have been uh, what was it that uh, was so captivating about this story? Well, I mean, I just think Sean Kemp is one of the more breathtaking 
you know, NBA players ever, the Rain Man at, uh, in Seattle. I think probably the best and certainly the, the most violent uh, in-game dunker, you know, I've ever seen. And I, I people, as I became friends with people at Kentucky, they were obviously a lot of Kentucky fans, and they would say you'd get in gatherings and start doing the, you know, sitting around the bar, you know, um, Saying what about this? What what if this happened? And people love to do that in sports. I mean, Sean Kemp came up so much. I had so many friends that talked to me about that. Uh, and one of one of those friends was uh, relatively close with Rex Chapman. He's like Rex talks about this all the time. And so you know, I, I called Rex because Rex hosted him on his visit and had initially planned to be there when he would have been there. Except he went ended up going to the NBA. Um, and so I'd just been thinking and sort of marinating on that story forever. And this, you know time where there's no real sports going on felt like the perfect time to do it um and i would say the reaction to it has validated the idea that this is a huge one to kentucky fans we, you and i on the show have talked a bunch we, we talk about stories that have become popular uh and sort of whether they'll catch the ellen calipari story which is the all-time <laughs> standard for our site uh this one is inching up on being read more uh than the ellen calipari story uh oh my goodness and it is Second, second most uh, subscriptions behind the Ellen Calipari story. It'll, nothing will ever touch Ellen in subscriptions, but uh, but this one is just a few hundred reads uh, behind uh, Ellen in terms of actual people reading it. I mean, it, it blew up, and people, um, you know, people love that idea of of what if. Uh, and there are a bunch of them. I think the interesting thing about the Sean Kemp one is it's just like that whole era. It's not really even just him. The idea that. Uh, Rex Chapman, Chris Mills, uh, Eric Manuel, LaRon La, La Ellis, um, and Sean Kemp could have all uh, been together, um, all five high school All-Americans in the starting lineup, with the Unforgettables uh, coming off the bench, plus Reggie Hanson. That would have been an unbelievable team. Uh, Kenny Walker, who, one of the parts of the story, Sean, everybody told me Sean Kemp and Kenny Walker had these crazy battles uh, in pickup games this summer that he was on campus. And Kenny Walker said if that team had been together, it would have rivaled the 96 Kentucky team. And we obviously know Rex went to the NBA. The reason he went to the NBA was because he knew uh, probation was coming. The reason probation was coming was because Eric Manuel uh, got caught cheating on an ACT and, and Chris Mills, the envelope of cash that uh, was discovered in a shipping uh, facility uh, on the way to his family. So a lot of things went wrong, and it's a you have to sort of suspend reality to, to put together the the ultimate what if with that group of guys. Um, but it's no less fun to think about. I mean, you, yeah. you put all just in terms of basketball. Forget all the scandal. If I, if you want to watch awesome basketball and incredible athletes, that group of players, if they'd all been able to play together under Eddie Sutton, who took two different programs to three Final Fours, they'd have been really good. Uh, I guess Ellen will be looking for an asterisk though, if this uh, passes it, because <laughs> the times are different, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, let me ask you, what would be next on the what-if uh, top ten? What would be the next one you'd want to go after? Yeah, one, one that I think I probably will uh, pursue uh, is Ralph Sam, because some people brought this one up to me uh, while, while I was sort of tweeting and talking about Sean Kemp. You know, Ralph Sampson, that, that story is incredible to me. Um, you know, back then, basically, it, it had been known from the Kentucky, been made known from the Kentucky side that he was coming. Ralph Sampson was coming to Kentucky. So uh, apparently, all the reporters in the day pulled their money and chartered a plane 
yeah. uh, to go to Ralph Sampson's uh, uh, announcement ceremony, only to find out he was going to Virginia. So I, I think that uh, that one to me, that whole story's got some interesting, interesting details to it. Yeah, Dick Gabriel was one of the reporters who went, and he he tells the story, and and you can see this, I guess, in the video where Ralph says, "That's why I've chosen to attend the University of Kent, Virginia." <laughs> he almost oh wow, says, I didn't even realize that he had. Oh yeah, he almost Kentucky. says he he gets out the first syllable of Kentucky. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I mean, see that's that stuff's great, and and the thing that it is is wild is that I teased it the night before and said like I'm writing a story about the greatest what if ever. At Kentucky, and probably I got like fifteen people, fifteen different things of people guessed that it was, and they were all great ones, all great uh, sort of what ifs. Yeah, that's that's the thing about a, a place where it's uh, folks are this passionate about it. They can go back uh, a good long ways with a lot of detail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, ninety-seven Derek Anderson. I mean, there's there's a bunch of them. Yeah. If Jody Meeks had stayed around another year with a twenty with Cal's first team. That would that's a big one, yeah. Jody yeah. Meeks, and you know, I've actually sort of addressed that that oral history of his fifty four point game. I asked Jody, Patrick Patterson, and John Calipari, you know, what if? And they basically all said, "Well, we basically we nobody would have beaten us." And, and yeah. I think that's probably right. The one thing that ended up uh, biting him in terms of an, an Achilles heel was what he would have brought to the team. Uh, it's good stuff as always, uh, Kyle. Folks can find these stories at theathletic.com and uh, you can follow Kyle on uh, on Twitter at uh, it's at Kyle Tucker underscore ATH, right? You got it. Good stuff. Thank you much. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. We'll be back to wrap it up in just a moment. This day in Kentucky history, pretty good day for the basketball program. They signed three players, Ron Mercer, Wayne Turner, and a project out of Chicago. Big guy that would need to do a lot of work to get in shape, Nazi Muhammad. Turned out pretty well for Nas. He ended up having the, uh, I guess, maybe the longest NBA career of uh, any of the guys during uh, that time at Kentucky. So, it's a pretty good uh, three for three right there on this day in 1995. And I saw a note from uh, Jack Givens, I think it was on Facebook yesterday, uh, talking about the passing of his high school coach at Bryan Station. Uh, that was uh, another coaching legend, Coach Bobby Barlow. Um, we uh, talked about uh, Russ Day recently, now Bobby Barlow. So uh, condolences to uh, his family. And friends like Jack. That'll be that'll do it for today's edition of the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Thanks See for you listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at tomleachky.com whenever you miss a show, and be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have.